Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. How many of you have like ever waited for a package from Amazon? Come on, somebody. Or you waited for a delivery. I won't say just from Amazon, right? But you know, you waited for a delivery and that anticipation for the arrival of the delivery... It keeps you in suspense, right? Especially, it depends on what it is. You know, uh, my wife bought me a, a, a guitar for my birthday, and, and I remember, like, every day I was waiting to see this gigantic box at the, at the door. I was waiting to see this, this huge box, you know, that was going to be there uh, on my doorstep. And so every day I'd look, and I'd, I'd see the guy come up. And, you know, in my neighborhood, these guys are, like, on a schedule, you know when they're going to arrive. Like, it's like the FedEx guy comes around noon, the UPS guy, for whatever reason, I'm not dogging UPS, God bless them, but UPS gets there really late, like 8 or 9 o'clock at night sometimes. It's kind of weird. It's like, who's knocking on my door this late at night? And it's like the UPS guy. But when the anticipation of the arrival of that thing that you have been waiting for happens, it's like the greatest moment. It's like, oh, man, that thing that I was waiting for is finally here. And I pray, church, that we would have this growing anticipation, expectation for the arrival of Jesus. Amen? Amen. For those of you that are married, let me explain it this way. There's this incredible, like, launching pad to the day that you're going to get married and give your life to this individual, right? To, your, to this partner that you have chosen for life. And so as every day gets closer and closer and closer to the arrival of one day becoming, you know, husband and wife, it is a, it is a, a moment of joy. It's a moment of anticipation because you've waited for it for so long. And so I want to remind you, church, that we are the bride of Christ. Amen. And I pray that you are as in love with Jesus today as you were the day that you met him. Amen? And so there should be an anticipation in your heart when I say this that he will return. Amen? He will return. And that whom we've been waiting for, he's going to show up. Yeah, come on. He's going to arrive, and it's going to be the most glorious thing that you will ever experience. Amen? And so I want you to just keep that in your heart and in your mind. Tonight, we are going to shift gears a little bit. And I felt the Lord leading me into just encouraging your faith tonight. Amen. How many of you need faith? Amen. Let me encourage your faith tonight. Can we do that? I got off a phone call uh, late last night um, from a minister friend of mine who I was so honored to privilege, privileged and honored to minister at his church uh, back in uh, August, uh, September of this past year. And it was so awesome because he shared a few testimonies with me of, of things that happened and continued to happen ever since I was able to minister at his church. And this is no credit to myself. It's all glory to the Lord. But he was sharing with me last night of some individuals that we had prayed for. One of those individuals was, was a woman that God had actually given me a vision of before I had even arrived at this place. The Lord had showed me a vision of this woman. She was in a walker, and, and it was so crazy because the, the very first night that I was able to minister, I got up, and I went, and I stood there, and, and, and the first lady that walked in this church walks in in a walker. 
old lady and she's, you know, just hunched over. And I see this lady and I'm like, and the Holy Spirit's like, that's the lady. And I'm like, okay, what is she doing here? <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I didn't know the purpose behind her arrival. I had no idea what God was going to do. But at the end of the first service, I remember preaching and, and, and I, I took time to pray for different individuals. And, and the Holy Spirit had led me to pray specifically for uh, her children and their prodigal return. In other words, she had children that were far from the Lord and they needed to return back to Christ. And at one time, they knew the Lord, right? That's the prodigal story. If you haven't read it, put, read it. But at one time, they knew the Lord. They abandoned the Lord. They went off into the world. They were doing their own thing. So when I had prayed for her, I prayed specifically that her prodigal children would return home, not knowing anything about her family, her history, her life, or any, her background, or what have you. It wasn't until after the service that the minister friend uh, that invited me, he told me, he says, Man, when you started praying for prodigal children, he says, my eyes went like, and her eyes went like, because she has a son and daughter that were both heroin addicts. Now, some of you have grown up in church your whole life, and you've never been in that kind of part of the world. But for those of you that maybe have known somebody that has gone through something like this, it's an incredibly powerful chain. It, is, it has a grip on an individual's life that, that, is, that is so strong. Amen? But how many of you know the blood of Jesus breaks every chain? Every single chain. So he tells me that this individual that we had prayed over, I, I, I prayed over this, this, this woman's children, not knowing the situation that they were going through. But guess what? He tells me last night that a few months ago, her daughter had an encounter with Jesus. The chain of heroin was broken off her life. Gets better. Now, she's doing deliverance, and she's doing AA meetings, and she's leading other people out of the bondage of being held to addiction. Can somebody give the Lord praise? The reason why this is so powerful, church, is because his word still works. His promises never fail. Can I share another one with you? He shared with me three testimonies last night. This same woman's husband, who was not able to accompany her to the services that, we, that I was able to attend, he was actually in the hospital at the time. Now, after we had gone and we prayed for this man, he was in the hospital with different complications. Uh, that there were so many things going on in his body, but one of them specifically was diabetes. He was actually in the hospital and he was about to get amputated because if you know anything about people that have diabetes and, and some of the things that happen is, you know, they lose circulation in their, in their bodies and, and they amputate toes and feet and legs and it just depends on how bad it gets. Well, he got out of the hospital two weeks after I had left only to return back to the hospital. Well, guess what? God brought him home and the work that was started the work that was started in his life, God brought him back home out of the hospital. He was hospitalized for months. You have to understand the full context. He went back into the hospital for a few months, got out. He is completely healed. He's diabetic-free, and he has all of his toes. <laughs> no amputation. 
I want us to understand, church, the power of the word of God. The power of God's word is infallible. When the seed of the word of God goes forth, it does not come back void. You might not see it sprout up right away. You might not see it released right away. You might not see it, you know, do what you wanted it to do in an instant. But his word never fails, church. When you believe in faith and you trust God in faith, guess what? His word does the work. His word does the work. And so I've titled my message tonight, His Promises and Our Impossibilities. This is the walk of every single believer. That is to trust in the promise of God over every single situation that you face. We've all gone through stuff. We've all gone through incredibly heavy times. And this is what having faith in what his word says versus what your body feels or what your eyes see or what your feelings feel. Amen? You can see something. You can see it a certain way. You can feel it or experience it a certain way. But you have to put the word of God to the test. Amen? You have to believe this thing to the very core of your being. And so this is what it ultimately boils down to. Do you believe what he has said? Or do, you, or do you believe what you see? Amen? This is what faith is. Do you believe what God has said or do you believe what you see? Because it's his promises versus your impossibilities. And so many times throughout scripture we hear of God's people conquering and becoming victorious and being at war with the enemy. And this lifestyle of conflict is exactly what we were born for and not born from. Now just ask Jesus. He was born into the world and there was a decree issued to have him killed. He was born into a war zone. King Herod had put a decree on the life of Jesus to have him killed. So in the same instance when you had these wise men looking at the star trying to find baby Jesus, there was also people that were out there trying to take his life. In the moment that you were born again, that you said yes to Jesus, you confessed him as your Lord and Savior, and you have entered into the kingdom of God, there has been a war against your life. You are in a war zone at this very moment. And so in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was in the temple synagogue, and he stands up to read scripture. And the Bible says that everyone was amazed at his teaching, but seconds later, they pointed out that Jesus was just Joseph's son. Now, you can read this on your own time, but I'll get to a verse here in a second. And it was a few verses later after Jesus points out that prophets aren't welcome in their very own towns. Everyone became furious with him so much. In fact, in Luke 4 and verse 28, it says all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And they got up and they drove him out of town and they took him to the brow of the hill, which was like the highest point of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Verse 30 says, but he walked right through the crowd and he went on his way. Now this was just the beginning of a war for Jesus. This was just like day one of ministry. Jesus is, you know, set out and, you know, he's living, you know, for his father and he's he's doing what the Lord has commanded him to do and they are already trying to throw him off a cliff. Because Satan knows the assignment that God has placed on your life. 
Satan knows, guys, the, the very thing that the Lord is trying to do through your life. And guess what? He will do anything in his power to kill, to steal, and to destroy from your life. At any moment, any chance that he gets, he will try to take your life out. I need to remind you tonight that we are living in a spiritual war. Amen? We are living in a spiritual war. The moment that you told somebody that you had faith in Jesus, you, under, you underwent a spiritual attack. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Amen? The moment that you said yes to Jesus, you're like, man, I gave my life to Jesus. It was the best feeling that I've ever felt. It was the most liberating thing that I've ever experienced. And then boom. Family starts falling apart. Lose hours at the job. All of a sudden, you're under attack physically in your body. You get sick. You know, you're diagnosed with something. Something always happens. Because any time, church, that there is a declaration of the faith of the word of God, the enemy will come to challenge it. Any time that you share the word of God with somebody, what does the Bible say in that parable of the, of the four soils? It says that the enemy comes to snatch the seed away. How many of you have ever done like Legos or something? Just be honest. Spiritual Legos maybe? Okay, if you haven't. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. But man, have you ever done Legos? Okay, hold on. Let me ask this question. This is more important. Who is the younger sibling in your family? You have older siblings than you. Yes, I'm the baby. Okay, so I got older siblings. And we were the ones that got picked on. Right? Now, now you guys are sympathizing with me. You're like, yeah, man, preach it, Pastor, man. You know, I got so many issues. You need help. <laughs> My older brothers, man, anything that I would do, I'd be making Lincoln Logs, I'd be doing Legos, I'd be doing something, and they would come over and they tip that thing over right when I was, like, almost done. Right when I was going to celebrate. And the enemy, every time that you are building your life, we just sang about it, you're building your life upon Jesus. You are, you are establishing the promises of God in your life. You are remembering his word. You're following through in obedience. You're following through the commandments of God. The enemy is just like, uh. You feel like you're building your, your life up, and the enemy just, mm, he tries to push something down. And so oftentimes we try to stand in the victory circle without wielding our swords. We try to stand in the victory circle without wielding our swords. That is, we try to say that we have the victory, but we don't know the promises that he has made for us. That is, you cannot defeat the enemy without knowing the word. Amen? Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 4 and 4, he said, Satan, it is written. He reminded the enemy in that moment when he was challenging him after a 40-day fast, he said, it is written. He knew what his father had said. He knew the promises of God over his life. And listen, we need to know this so well that when the enemy tries to switch a word around, when the enemy tries to change the narrative, when the enemy tries to, to just subtly, you know, pull something out and, and do what he did with Eve and said, oh, but did God say this? We need to be so keen in the word. We need to understand and know the promises of God over our life so well that we can say, no, 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 Satan, it is written. It is written. We know the word. And so if you have said yes to Jesus and if you have read his word, the Bible says that God's very word and spirit is our sword. 
Amen? It says that it is our sword, and he has prepared us with war garments, as Ephesians 6 mentions. And so I want to read this. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. I don't know if it's the same. It's a little bit different on the screen. But I love the way this explains it, and, and, and we'll uh, break this down in just a second. Verse 11 says, in my translation, put on God's complete set of armor provided for you so that you will be protected as you fight against all the evil strategies of the accuser. Verse 12, your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Verse 13, because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides so you're protected as you confront the slanderer for you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. I love this. It goes on to say in verse 14, so put on truth as the belt to strengthen you to stand in triumph. Put on holiness as the protective armor that covers your heart. Stand on your feet alert, and then you will always be ready to share the blessings of peace. Verse 16, in every battle, take faith as your wraparound shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows that come at you from the evil one. Verse 17 and 18, it says, embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. And take the mighty razor-sharp spirit sword of the spoken word of God, and it says, and pray passionately in the spirit. As you constantly intercede with every form of prayer at all times, it says, pray the blessings of God upon all believers. What does a belt do? Think about this just for a second. What is a belt for? A belt will stop you from being exposed. Think about that just for a second. Where do you wear belts? You wear them around your waist. I don't think anybody wears a belt around their neck. But they are to stop you from being exposed. And so you see truth, the belt of truth, exposes the enemy. The thing that he is trying to do in your life where he's trying to expose your life and he's trying to put everything out there for the world to accuse and the world to condemn and for him to be able to speak against your life, the belt of truth actually keeps you secure in Christ because it's his righteousness that's wrapped around you. It's his truth that is spoken over your life. It's who he says you are that keeps you cleansed and holy before him. And so the truth exposes the enemy. Holiness leaves no room for accusation. Amen? You live a holy life, there's nothing that anybody can say. They try to say stuff. Jesus was perfect and he was holy and they said, oh, but that's a demonic spirit from which you are using to cast out these demons. They accused him even though he was perfect, right? But holiness will leave no room for accusation. In sports, if you uh, understand sports and if you ever played sports, maybe some of you did. How many of you played sports ever in your life? Anybody? Am I the only one? Me and Justin? Okay, Linnell, all right. There we go, there we go. All right, see some more hands. Just me, Justin, and Linnell. I I I thought that was it. There, somebody. Yeah, Matt, all right, you know. When you play sports, there's something that almost translates in every sport. I don't care, basketball, football, soccer, tennis. uh, And and it's this this term that they use, don't get caught flat-footed. Because if you're flat-footed, which is like this, like I got my two clubs on the ground, that means that the individual that's trying to get around me, if it's in basketball, if it's soccer, whatever, they they can run around me because I'm not on my toes. 
when I'm on my toes and when I'm postured properly, then I can move quickly and I can defend against the opposition. Does anybody understand where I'm coming from? Amen. I used to have really quick feet. If you don't believe me, I'll post a video one of these days and you should have seen my feet. They were really fast. Now I'm a, I have a dad bod and I'm not as quick as I once was. So when you get caught flat-footed in the spirit, you're not alert and you're not ready. The devil can get a jab on you. The devil can do something. He can say something. He can, he can get you and he can catch you off guard because you're not ready to move. But if your feet are alert, at, you can move at a moment's notice. We need to understand this, church. Your shield is faith. This is what the word of God says. Your shield is faith. When the enemy says failure, you show him faith. When the enemy says forsaken, you remind him that you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Every lying word that he sends your way, faith wraps around your life. That's why I love that translation because it says it wraps around you. That means that no area of your life is exposed. There's no area that the enemy can, can get into. There's no area in your life that he can get to, to to target your life. And so it wraps around your being and it leaves no target for him to hit. It says the helmet of God protects the battlefield of your mind. Everybody do this. Point at your mind just for a second. Think about this. Has the enemy ever spoken lies to your life? All the time. Has the enemy ever spoken a lie to your mind? Of course he has. He said things like you're not worthy. He said things like you're not forgiven. God won't forgive you. You're not victorious. God isn't with you. God doesn't love you. You wouldn't be going through this if God was for you. He goes on and on rambling lies. And the helmet of salvation, it protects your mind from believing the lies that he pours out. Amen? If you ever played a contact sport and you needed a helmet, it's a, it's a pretty handy thing. I used to play hockey at one point in time in my life. I know you're looking at me and most people in the valley don't even know what hockey is. We use ice and skates and sticks and I actually played roller hockey so it wasn't on ice, it was on the concrete of a parking lot. And it hurt when you fell. But a face mask is a pretty important thing, and a helmet is a pretty important thing when you're playing on a hard surface. And the Lord has given us every single area of protection for our life, church, to defend us and for us to use in the spirit against everything that the enemy would throw our way. And so it protects your mind in Christ knowing that he alone is your salvation. That scripture goes on to say, it takes the razor sharp word of God to cut down every single lie of the enemy. You see, he's going to say a lot of things, but if you are not prepared with the word, then you have nothing to cut him down with. It says, pray during all times, intercede for one another, praying God's blessings to one another. How many of you have prayed for the blessings of God to, towards somebody's life? Amen? I pray that when you pray for me, you're praying like good stuff, Okay? Don't be like, oh, that Pastor Duke, man, he said he preached way too long, you know. I hope, just pray the blessings of God to my life, amen? 
I'm going to pray the blessings of God over your life. God has called us to be victorious. Amen? But the promises of victory are for those who are willing to believe his word over your impossibilities. You will never stand in the winner's circle if you don't have faith. This is like rudimentary. Like this is, this is the basis of everything that we believe, that you have to believe his word over the impossible situations that you face. How can a person live a victorious life, a life of conquest, triumph, and victory over all that confronts him? How can a believer you know, conquer discouragement and defeat to actually conquer all the enemies that seek to defeat and destroy his life? Because life seems to be a series of victories and defeats, amen? Life is, is a series of ups and downs, overcoming and being overcome, adjustments and failures, walking carefully and slipping up, approving and reproving, straightening up and entangling. And so this description of what life proves to be for so many people could go on and on and on. But if you are caught in the whirlwind of peaks and valleys of being up and down, then there is the most wonderful news of all, and that is that victory is possible through the promises of God. Amen? Victory is possible through the promises of God. Victory is found in God. Amen? It's found in his love. It's found in his presence. It's found in his power that is available to you. And so one lesson that we must learn is this. Is victory is in God and in God alone. John 16 and 33. Verse 32, actually, it says this. A time is coming and is in fact come when you will be scattered each to your own home. He says, and you will leave me all alone. He says, but yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Verse 33, he says, so I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. He said, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so I'm here to remind somebody tonight that you are not alone in your battle. Amen. The Father is with you. Amen. You are not alone in your circumstance because the Lord is with you. And so I want us to look at this story in, out of the book of Joshua. Joshua and the Israelites, they had to learn about battles and conquering. They had to learn about battles and conquering. That is, there was a victory in the promised land and a victorious life over every single thing that they were going to face and that was going to seek to destroy them. But there was a price to pay for the victory. The Israelites, they had to act and they had to take certain steps in order to achieve victory over their enemies. And so I want us to, to look at this story uh, today. It's found in Joshua chapter 8. And I want to remind you tonight that victory isn't just going to happen. In other words, the breakthrough that you have been praying for, it isn't just going to manifest on its own. It's not just going to come to pass if you desire it to happen. That is, you need to get up and you need to take what the enemy has tried to steal from your life and declare the word of God over every situation. Amen? And so victory would come for Joshua and his army as they arose and they marched forward to fight. And so one of the first steps to victory, church, is to get up. Amen? It's to actually say, you know what, I'm going to confront what has come against me and what has come to confront my life. So Joshua chapter, one, uh, ch chapter 8 verse 1 says, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up to attack Ai. He said, For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. 
He said, you shall do to Ai as its king, as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves and set an ambush behind the city. And so here's what I love about this, is that church, victory begins without fear. You cannot walk into a situation where, where you are, you know, supposedly supposed to have faith and you are just declaring fear over it. You cannot walk into the doctor's office when they have called you in and they said there is something wrong with your body, there is something wrong with your life, and you walk into the doctor's office and you're nothing but full of fear. Fear is anti-faith. It is the very thing that the enemy uses to war and wage war against the very word of God. And so the first thing he tells him, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. He says, take the whole army with you and go up and attack them, for I have delivered them into your hands. How many of you know that the Lord will always tell you what is to come before it actually happens? He is actually telling them, you are victorious. Listen, son, listen, daughter, you are victorious. Just go attack them. But wait a second, that's a Goliath. Yeah, wait a second, you have the God of the army, uh, armies of angels on your side. He told David he would be victorious be, before he ever set foot on the battle line. But in order to be victorious in Christ, you've got to get to the battle line to begin with. You have to actually step up to that place where you say, God, I am going to trust and I am not going to fear. The first thing the Lord will always address in his children is trust. I've taught my kids how to swim. I've taught them how to jump off swing sets and do all kinds of stuff. And the, the main thing is trust. I could stand at the edge of a 100-foot cliff and my kids trust me. I say, jump. It's high, Daddy. It's okay. I'm right here. I'm going to get you. Do you trust him? says, son or daughter, don't, don't, worry what, don't worry what it looks like. It's a battle zone. There's bombs going off all around me. I, 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 don't, I don't see. I've given them into your hand. He's so perfect, church. He is so perfect that he sets itself, he sets his, us up for victory in the most awesome way, but we have to be obedient. We have to listen to what he said. He said, do not be afraid. I've delivered them into your hands. He says, you've already won the battle. Just go fight. Just go fight. If somebody told you that, you know, you were going to win, you know, a billion dollars. Praise God for that. Lord, we receive it in Jesus' name. Your amen should have been louder. I, I, all right. Hallelujah. There you go, sister. Lord, and he tells you you're going to win a billion dollars. But all you got to do is this. All you got to do is stand up and go fight the enemy. He didn't say you weren't going to get hit. <laughs> he didn't say you weren't going to get, like, you know, messed up and bloody. He just says you're going to win. Would you trust him? Would you trust him? His first commandment was do not fear. And so I believe the Lord reminds his people of this powerful truth that we can no longer live in a state of mind that is afraid. 2 Timothy 1 and 7, I love this verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. 
The scripture clearly says that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. So who does? The enemy. If God did not give you a spirit of fear, then it is the enemy that is working that angle in your life. He plants seeds of fear in every situation. If you ever want to know if the enemy is speaking into your life and into your heart and, and it is not God, just look at the fingerprints. It's not that hard. Fear, death, you know, thievery, lies, all those things are from the enemy. You can be in a circumstance where the opportunity to fear is present. But when the Lord says do not fear, it's because he has already defeated your enemy. We've got to believe this, amen? The evidence of the enemy are fear, doubt, unbelief, deceit, and lies. But the evidence of God is power of love, and it's a sound mind. When you are rooted in Christ in God's perfect love, the Bible says in 1 John 4 and 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out all fear. The perfect love of Jesus, it casts out all fear. When I am in him and I remain in him and my life is, is, is completely surrendered to him, there's nothing that I have to fear. There's nothing that I have to fear. It says, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You believe his word. You see, it is and it has always been God who empowers you and I to win battles. Amen. In him we cannot fear for he is perfect love. Isaiah 54 and verse 14 says, In righteousness you will be established and you shall be far from oppression. He says, For you shall not fear. He says, And from terror for it shall not come near you. So, so many people never reach the battle line because they are simply stopped by fear. Get in the game and have faith. Amen? Get in the game and have faith. Warren Worsby said this. He said, nothing paralyzes our lives like the attitude that things can never change. Remember the guy that was sat next to the, to the pool of Bethesda? Always making an excuse because somebody got in. Somebody beat him into those healing waters. Somebody got, got there before he was there. And so it says nothing paralyzes your life like the attitude that things can never change. Have you ever met an individual that was, that was you know, the, the same way? They had, you know, the situation that they had prayed for, it never changed. And you notice that they have a hardness about their life. They have a hardness about their heart and their beliefs. They don't believe. The minister that I was talking to last night, you know what he told me? He said the miracles that our church received were the first miracles that that church had received in 50 years. 50 years. It blew my mind. Because they, that church had a 100-year anniversary. That's how old it is. They had a 100-year anniversary like three, four years ago. And he showed me these pictures of when that church was established. And there was healing revivals all over that church. People would come from miles. I mean, you're talking this place, like it looks like Mars. Like it's literally in the middle of nowhere. So when you prayed for me, I went to Mars and I came back, you know, and Elon Musk was there and everything, right? So I went all the way to Mars in the middle of Oklahoma and Texas, like in the middle of nowhere, and he told me that people in that church, it was once known for healing. It was once known for the anointing and the power of God. But a whole generation had passed, church. An entire generation had passed, and they had not experienced those miracles. They had not seen the power of God. When I went up there to the minister, one of the, one of the toughest things, you know, this is not a judgment upon the people, but the truth is, is there was very little faith in the room. 
Very little faith. There's a saying in the scripture that says, you know, breaking up the fallow ground. Man, I took a, <laughs> I took a, what's it called in Spanish? A talache. <laughs> you know, like I took a talache with me and I was like, wham, wham. You know, I was breaking up fallow ground. Because when I preached, all I saw was nothing but stone face. Some of you are giving me a stone face right now. How dare you? Smile. There was no faith because guess what? They had lived an entire generation and they hadn't seen the promises of God fulfilled. The Israelites had lived it 40 years in the desert with Moses and they hadn't seen the promised land. And they grew callous and they complained towards the Lord. Nothing paralyzes your life like the attitude that things can never change. He says we need to remind ourselves that God can change things. Amen? Outcome determines, uh, outlook determines outcome. If we see only the problems, we will be defeated. But if we see that the possibilities in the problems, then we can have victory. So verse 3 in Joshua chapter 8 says, So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. And they chose 30,000 of the best fighting men and they sent them out at night. It's with these orders, he says, listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. He says, do not go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. He says, I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. Verse 6, they will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up and ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hands. He says, when you have taken the city, set it on fire and do what the Lord has command. See to it that you have my orders. And so the second thing that we notice here is that victory begins by obedience. Victory begins by obedience, by doing exactly what God has instructed. It's not enough, church, to simply hear the word of God. A person must obey the word of God and do exactly what it says. Amen. We spoke about that last week, about maturing and growing in the Lord. Listen, it's time to do it. It's time to put it into practice. It's time to live this thing out. Joshua was obedient to God. That is, he executed the exact strategy that God had laid out, and he followed every instruction of God to achieve that victory. And so this was a step that he had to take. He had to obey God. Sometimes we get in those positions where God has laid it out so perfectly for us, but we think our plan is better. God's like, do this and do that and just trust me there. And we, we, we get so caught up in our minds, we overthink things and we think that somehow we're going to outsmart God. Well, I don't know, God, I might, I'm going to just, I'm going to try this, God. We try to dig our own well. You're going to get real tired and you're never, you're never going to get a drink. And you're going to try it your way in stubbornness and disobedience to God. And he's like, I've laid it out for you. I've laid it out. I've told you exactly what to do. Follow what he is telling you. Obedience is essential. It's absolutely essential for victory. If you want to conquer anything in life that, that the enemy throws your way, then you have to be obedient to the Lord. James 1 and 25 says this, The man that looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom... And continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. He will be blessed in what he does. Watchman Nee said this, the believer, in addition, 
should assail the lies of the evil spirits. That is, he says, every suggestion from the enemy must be met resolutely with the truth of the word of God. I love that. Whatever the enemy says, you meet it with the word of God. He goes on to say, answer doubts with text of faith. Respond to dis despair with words of hope. Reply to fear with words of peace. He says this, if he does not know the appropriate verse, then let that man pray for direction. He says, but victory is obtained by wielding the sword of the Spirit. Amen? Victory is obtained by putting the word of God into action. The obedience and the practice of our faith is as important as having faith itself, church. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And so the Bible says that we must be obedient. So the things that we often refuse to address are the very things that will keep you from prosperity, from blessing, and victory in Christ. But for those that confront their enemies, for those that march towards the very thing that, that is standing before you, with the instructions given by the Lord, they shall see the Lord God hand their enemies over to them time and time again. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. He just wants to build up your life so that you believe this thing. Joshua 8 and 14 says this, When the king Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city, they hurried out in early morning to meet Israel in a battle at a certain place. It says, but he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. So Joshua and all of Israel let themselves be driven back before them. And they fled towards the desert, and all the men of Ai were called to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua, and they were lured away from the city. And it says, not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. It says, they left the city open, and they went in pursuit of Israel. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua... Hold out towards Ai the javelin that is in your hand. He says, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin towards Ai, and as soon as he did this, the men of the ambush rose quickly from their positions, and they rushed forward. They entered the city, and they captured it, and they quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai, they looked back, and they saw the smoke of city rising against the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction. For the Israelites who had been fleeing towards the desert had now turned back against their pursuers. Verse 21 says, For when Joshua and all Israel saw the ambush had taken the city and the smoke was going up from the city, they turned around and they attacked the men of Ai. Verse 22, it says, The men of the ambush also came out of the city against him. They saw that they were caught in the middle with the Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. Whoo, victory begins by fighting back. Amen? Victory begins by fighting back. You see, it's not a victory if nobody's opposing you. It's not a victory if nobody's opposing you. It's not a victory if you're not actually in the battle in this kingdom that we are living in. You see, there are no such things as victory by default in the kingdom. You have always had an enemy, amen? You have always had somebody that is seeking to destroy your life and your soul. You have always had a spiritual opponent, church. You have always had somebody against you. And Joshua quickly learned the moment that he crossed the Jordan River into that promised land that it wasn't a one-and-done battle. Some people think once saved, always saved. It's not a one-and-done battle, my friend. You've got to get up every single day and work out your salvation. Amen? 
You've got to get up every single day and you've got to fight. You've got to get up every single day and declare the word of God. You've got to get up every single day and pray. You've got to get up every single day and you've got to intercede for your family. You can't just rest. You can't just think that all of a sudden, you know, oh, that's it. I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to relax. It was going to be a series of battles, but if they remained in the Lord, he would deliver them every single time. See, the Lord guided Joshua step by step throughout the battle. And guess what? The Lord is going to guide you step by step throughout every single phase of life. And I am certain that many of you, since you've come to Christ, have had a fight in more than one battle. Amen? Since you came to Jesus, you've had a fight in more than one battle. And that is every battle that the enemy has brought against you. It should always remind you, oh, this is good. Write this down. Remember this. Every battle, church, that the enemy has brought against you should always remind you of God's track record of victories in your life and not the obstacle ahead of you. I've been through some battles. You've been through some battles. We've grown and we've matured and we've, we've got scars in our life. We've got, you know, things that have, have happened in our life where the enemy tried to mold us and shape us and change us and, and do whatever he wanted to do in your life. But because the Lord is victorious, we are victorious in him. And because the Lord has been victorious over the things that you have gone through in the past, the next thing that comes your way, you can remember every single thing that God has done for you. I love the way David put it. He said, oh, he said, my God delivered me from the paw of the lion. My God delivered me from the paw of the bear. And he said, you Philistine, surely God will deliver you into my hands. Church, if you need to remember the victories that God has poured into your life from yesterday so that the next battle that you face, you can see that with faith saying, my God delivered me time and time and time again. Surely he's going to deliver me once again. And when Joshua lifted up that javelin, those troops quickly captured and they set the city on fire. God gave the total victory to Joshua. But he was obedient. He went to the battle line. He did as God commanded. He did as everything that the Lord had set up for him. The Lord set him up for victory. And the Lord has set you and I up for victory. Amen. The only hope for victory is the presence and the power of God, church. I'll say that one more time. The only hope for victory is the presence and power of God. No one else can give his people victory over the enemies that confront them except the Lord himself. Outside of God's presence, there will only be defeat. That javelin that he held up, it was a sign of trusting in God. It was a sign of prevailing prayer. It was a sign of crying out to God. It was a sign of the authority that he had in God. And when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, it was the very same sign that was given to us. For the work in which that cross represented when it held the Son of God for all the world to see, many thought that it was a symbol of defeat. Many people thought on that day that all of a sudden that the enemy had finally won. But Jesus' triumphal victory on the third day showed, in fact, that God has never lost a battle. Amen? And he does not intend on losing any battle that you depend on him for because victory is yours in Jesus' name. So I ask you to stand to your feet tonight. Some of you might be fine, and that's okay. But I said tonight, I want to charge your faith.
Just because your phone's got a little bit of battery doesn't mean that you don't need to plug it in again. Amen? And so I pray that your faith is charged tonight because it's important for us to understand that if today we are standing in the victory circle, tomorrow might be the beginning of the next battle that you're going to step into. And so if those of you who have yet to step into a battle season, listen, R.A. Torrey said this, this is so important. The reason why many people fail in battles is because they wait until the hour of battle. They wait until the hour of battle. The reason why others succeed is because they have gained their victory on their knees long before the battle came. So you have to anticipate your battles. Don't be caught flat-footed. Amen? You have to anticipate your battles. So we never should forget, church, that we have a God that is for us. Amen? We have a God that is for Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.